This is Pill Talk with Dr. Bartu. I got a special guest, a good friend of mine. Went to pharmacy school together. Mr. Excuse me, Dr. Jimmy Pruitt, ER pharmacist at two different hospitals. Co-founder of Farm So Hard podcast that's out on multiple platforms right now. And also the founder of Friday Pharmacy Pearls, which started in one hospital and it's right now in 18. So no introductions needed. Mr. Dr. Jimmy Pruitt, how you doing today? Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for the introduction. I'm doing, doing well. Thank you for, for having me on. I think it's going to be a, a pretty cool episode. And thank you for creating this new platform for, for us. Hey, no problem. No problem. So, you know, like I said, we went to pharmacy school together in Presbyterian College School of Pharmacy in Clinton, South Carolina. But currently you're you're based out of Georgia, working at two different hospitals, being an emergency pharmacy. So first, we want to talk about how what's the steps to becoming a emergency pharmacist inside of a hospital. Perfect. Yeah. So for now, this is a relatively new field. It's been having a, a huge expansion over the last few years. So what it has been the training for it before, their role was more of a uh, met history and things of that nature, but now we're moving towards more specialists. So now we, you have your pharmacy school and PGY1 training and residency was a, a key thing, but now we've had such a huge explosion of ED pharmacy in particular, the specialist being there. We've went from residency programs being like around four to five in, uh, in, in the mid 2000s, now there's over 70 programs. So now more pharmacists are getting PGY2 trained in emergency medicine, and, and a lot of people are also still getting trained in critical care and then just revert over to emergency medicine. So again, for the most part, you have your, your, your pharmacy school, you have your PGY-1 training, but now more and more people are getting PGY-2 trained. That's good, that's good. Uh, you talked about PGY-1, PGY-2 residencies. Most people don't understand or don't know that pharmacists goes to residencies to get more clinical and more knowledge base in a particular field. Can you describe or talk about the res residency process um, a little bit? Yeah, it's very tough. And um, I think I try to talk to my medical doctors about what the process they go through. And we basically go through the same platform as far as going through a match process, which traditionally starts in December, where most of us will go to the annual, the pharmacy annual meeting uh, mid-year and then from that standpoint, we can do this PPS interviewing, which is basically a speed dating for residency programs. You would go, you have, you know, 10 to 15 or 10 to 30 minutes to talk to the residency program and the current resident and to get a feel for those individuals. And then after that meeting is over, you submit your application along with hundreds and potentially thousands of dollars to submit your residency application. And then around January, you go through and you receive your rejections or your exceptions for an on-site interview. And this year is probably a little different because of COVID. So we may not have as many on-site interviews, but you will have just a more of an official interview. Uh, once from there, you, sim you submit your, your rank listing uh, by the end of February, we're getting the first week of March. And then I believe it's usually the second or third Friday of March where we have match day. And you basically go through a system, it's like a, a lottery system of placing you, the, the candidate, with your top program and place and matching the candidates top top you know residency residents as well so it's a weird algorithm that goes into it that i think no one really knows but they try to match you with your top people and then once you get there 
it's just your 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 cheap labor, your cheap labor, <laughs> your learning, and that is challenging. But you're rotating through, and this is not we're on the floors. We're rounding with the physicians. We're rounding the nurses. Uh, where I did my training at, I would actually be on the floor for almost majority of my shift. Again, I'll work primarily with the physicians and the nurses to make sure the medications are correct and just go through the evidence, teach, and just do all the things that uh, a clinical specialist would do. And then PGY2 training, same process over. Uh, unlike for medical residents where they have one program they match with, complete all of their training, if you receive a second, second year training, you can go to a different program if you don't early commit to the program you're currently at. Same process, same PPS interview, uh, same process to where you, you match for the program and you spend one year there. So you, I have to say that our residency is similar to doing like internal medicine uh, for a physician and then going and specializing in the fellowship is what our second year will be equivalent to. Oh, that's good, that's good. That's a lot of work, a lot of knowledge, a lot of uh, work-life balance that you gotta balance out there. Um, so your ER pharmacist, tell us exactly the description of your job description. What do you do in the ER to assist the, the physicians, to assist the nurses, to make sure that everything in the ER goes goes great? I, I can tell you what, what I don't do. What, 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 what do. I, I, I don't count pills very quickly in, in the nursing department. But uh, more, more particularly, what I like to do is a lot of what we do is creating pharmacy care plans and basically doing it at the bedside. And I'm not sitting down writing these things out. So for example, we have a patient that comes in and any medical emergency I respond to along with the team. And any medication that is being asked for, I like to say that we're five to 10 minutes ahead of that. So we assess the patient based off the training that we have and alongside with the work of our colleagues there. And we're able to you know, facilitate those medications. Now what I mean by that is knowing where that medication is from the beginning. So having the Omnicill, like having some type of automatic dispensing cabinet and you being responsible for placing those medications in there from the beginning and organizing that, being able to get those medications, draw them appropriately, dose them appropriately, and making sure that there's no interactions because in emergency department, we're not gonna go assess the patient, go put an order in, come back to the bedside and go through the process that is traditionally done for most areas of the hospital. Usually the physician looks over and say, hey, I want this particular medication. And as a pharmacist, you have a quick second to be able to basically verbally approve that order or say, hey, how about this? How can we change it to this dose or change it to this medication? And once we get the medication, draw it up, dose it, label it. For my nursing colleagues, we make sure that what access do you have? Because if you have a peripheral access compared to a central, central line, you can give certain medications as quick or as not. So understanding how quickly you can give a medication, compatibility issues, and learning how to uh, monitor that patient after. What are the adverse, side of, the adverse effects that can occur and how do you mitigate those? So all of that is just in a, a one patient and then outside of just being at the bedside, the more administrative component of that, what I mentioned before as omnicell optimization, making sure you have the medications in the correct area, order verification for those patients who are not more, more critical that they're actually putting those medications in and answering drug information questions. I probably get anywhere from 20 to 30 drug information questions per day, uh, particularly which antibiotics to use for this particular type of infection. Uh, what dose? What route? Can I give it IM? I don't have IV access. What's the alternative um, uh, PO version of this? 
and understanding how to create a plan for a patient. And usually how that goes is I ask where the patient is gonna go, what's the dispo for the patient? Are you going home, I have a plan for you? Are you going to the ICU, I have a plan for you? And if you're not, if you're trying to avoid using the higher levels of care, I have a plan for you because depending on what, what my plan is, I can change the medications to better suit that patient. So I see a lot of information what I did, but how I explain this to uh, the, the lay public is I make it go from brain to vein. <laughs> I take what's in the physician's brain and I put it into the patient's bloodstream. And I do that in, in the most effective, the, the safest and most cost efficient way that can help not only just the, the patient at that time, but it actually helps the entire hospital system. So when I make a recommendation, I'm thinking about all of those things and, and, and knowing how to carry that out. So taking each step from the physician's brain from what he assessed all the way to the patient. So that's my, my role as a medication influence, I would like to say, as we are in the emergency department. That's dope. That's dope. That's a lot of quick thinking on your feet there. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of that quick thinking on your feet, because it's the ER, you know, it's a hundred thousand different cases that come in a day. Um, so are most of these cases so similar that you already have a a plan or process in where you can already be like, okay, we know this person coming in with these symptoms, so we should go ahead and follow this algorithm or this chart. And do Absolutely. you help make that as well? Absolutely. So uh, one of the other com components of that is knowing just certain disease states, and it's a certain variety of disease states that we will see uh, more frequently than other than other specialties. If a patient comes in with heart failure, usually we, we see those patients, but we see them in acute exacerbation and understanding the four different subsets of that and having a plan for that. So you mentioned that how do you help create those pathways a lot of what I do outside of the bedside is creating order sets, creating algorithms and guidelines. So our physician and nursing colleagues weigh on us heavily to create these things and have them in process. So if a patient comes in, I know based off what we have agreed to that they were gonna get, you know, ABC medications at this particular dose, this particular route. And training the team through education and creating the order sets and giving a, a, a foundation, so to say, hey, if a patient comes in with, a COPD exacerbation. These are the medications we have here. These are the doses we should use. And this is what the evidence say we should be doing from a pharmacy standpoint. So you create this blueprint for the average patient. And then if something needs to be modified or changed, having them consult us to see it's a slight difference to the patient. How can we help them in this particular case? So that's something that we do uh, quite often. And one of the things that I think is, is key to being a, a, a ED pharmacist, being able to understand that most patients can fit in certain aspects, but then learning how to make a particular recommendation that's specific and unique for a particular patient. So just creating the foundation and then being available and studying and understanding that your training can build you up to a point to where you understand that not every patient is the same and how to treat those unique and special situations. That's good, that's good. Um, yeah, so you make sure you got the quick decisions at the bedside, you help formulating guidelines. Um, mentioned earlier in the introduction that you work at two different hospitals in the ED department. Um, are the guidelines similar or different because, you know, different locations will have different type of patients? Absolutely. That it happens quite frequently. I, I work two hours away from my, my two different shops, and it's interesting how different those institutions are in their patient populations, but how similar some of the cases arise. One example that I have is I was fortunate to create 
a, a, a same protocol for the same patient population and we did slightly different things based off my position weigh in and what the, um, the guidelines and medic, medic, medication safety administrators had to say about that. So if a patient that came in with pulmonary edema that was secondary to acute heart failure, we would use high dose nitroglycerin. And at one of my institutions, we would use a bolus dosing of nitroglycerin at very high rates at like one to two milligrams. I, I take that, but in my, my, my second institution, they don't want boluses at all. So to compound, like the, to make sure that it was a, a difference, but similar efficacy, we made it to it as an infusion at a higher rate, but given at 400 mics per minute over five minutes would meet the one milligram bolus that we would give every five minutes. So yeah. we have similar patients, similar to say that came in, but you can be the same patient to go to two different institutions and receive a medication slightly different based off the, the protocol that, that was made and based off having evidence to do things uh, two different ways. And emergency medicine is one of those areas where there's not a lot of black and white. You know, it's not just this or that. It's a lot of gray area. And I think one of the, the key things to being in that field and one of the most frustrating things for pharmacists that come from different areas is understanding how to navigate that gray area to fit your team at that particular time. Okay, okay. That's good. That's dope. Um, so, speaking of you working at two different pharmacies and we sp uh, spoke a little bit about creating guidelines, let's step into the, Friday, the Pharmacy Friday Pearls. Can you speak about that? and how you incorporate that into your workflow? Absolutely, so uh, Pharmacy Friday Pearls was just originated due to me wanting to engage my physician and nursing colleagues in a manner that didn't take up all their time at the bedside. There are many times where I would say, hey, it's a reason I wanna do this, and this is the best thing for the patient right now, but I don't have time to explain it in the detail that, that, that is necessary. So after a period of time, I realized, I said, hey, if I had like, a few moments to have a, a time period to talk to individuals at a set time every day about key pearls that would come up, this would be more beneficial and help us at the bedside. And this, this, this started out as being just something I did for like a couple minutes on a physician changeover. And I started sending out as an email. And then from there, I, I created a website for it to house all of the handouts that I would have. And then I record certain videos and YouTube videos and house all of it there to explain in more detail the things that our physician and nursing and pharmacy colleagues want to, to learn about. And what it has become now is an avenue for me to educate my team and in a, in a manner that's not necessarily always at the bedside. And what I found was that it made it so much easier to give recommendations because they would say, oh, that was that email you sent out last week. This is why you want to use Versed versus this, or this is why you want to use ketamine at this dose. Now I understand because one of the aspects that we get in, involved in, especially within hospital, hospitalizations of patients is that we stick to what we know all the time. We don't wanna change up, even if the evidence doesn't support that and providing evidence and providing the, the foundation from a pharmacology standpoint, and then also very briefly summarizing data. So our physician colleagues and nursing colleagues can understand why we're doing it has led to a very unique and evidence-based practice. This is something that I promote to all institutions. And this is why it's now been sent out to, to various hospitals throughout the nation, because I believe that while we have very unique and, and different institutions, certain cases are similar enough to where if I provide you the information, you can modify that best fit you. And I've been uh, very happy with the Pharmacy Friday Pearls. And usually I, I'm doing this 
yeah, outside of work where I spend some, some period of time in my office hours creating these handouts and updating the website. And that's something that's probably how I work it into my workflow. But when I was a resident, when I first started this, I would just do it at home. I would just yeah. knock it out and spend the hours it needed interpreting information, data collecting, and creating a platform to disperse this information. It was this key for a lot of success I've had early in my career. And I think it's something that I hope to continue. It's something now that's part of the PGY2 requirements for where I completed my residency. So it's been been phenomenal. It's a, a good bit of work. And now I'm getting able to spread some of this, this the workload out to, to the residents and other pharmacists that want to collaborate. And it's been phenomenal and less work for me but this end, but still providing the same foundation and structure to provide education to people in the emergency department in critical care. Man, that's great how something started so small and is going all over the place. So I got two questions. One is what kind of topics that you pit inside these pharmacy pearls on Fridays, the uh, Pharmacy Friday pearls? And question number two, how can someone get access to it? Um, yeah. Perfect. So the type of topics usually are, I pick it based off the cases I've seen over the week. So if there was something that was unique or there was something that was a, a controversial topic, uh, so again, we, we spoke about using high-dose nitroglycerin in patients. We're used to giving sublingual tablets, they have chest pain, but we're not used to giving three to four tablets worth in an IV formulation, and people felt uncomfortable about that. So I created, created that topic. Another thing that came up was the use of things like um, hypertonic saline, which is, you know, very uh, high risk medication. So how I, that's how I pick the topics based off just how unique and how uncomfortable people feel about that particular topic. And usually they're going to be focused on acute, acute management of patients for some type of exacerbation. So again, cardiac arrest, uh, COPD exacerbation. So the things that bring patients in and are in the sickest periods of time in hospitalization, those are the topics that I, I spend the majority of my time on because again, those are the ones that are exciting. Those are the things that people want to talk about. Uh, and those are the things that, interestingly enough, don't have as strong data for the things that we do. So just being able to analyze that stuff and put it in a concise form that's back and forth. So for your second part of the question is how to access those. So my, my website is called Pharmacy Friday Pearls, and you can go at pharmacyfriday.com. It is send you to my, my, my Google site now. Again, it was something that was small, and we're fortunate enough now within the next month and a half, we're going to transition from my Google site to uh, a different, more uh, revamped website that's going to house a little bit more information and have more futures that can help you go there. So once you do, you will have access to a few different things. So each topic will have uh, pre-questions because this is part of the medical residency program where they can actually get uh, credit for participating in a module. So each module will have a pre-test and a post-test, and then you will have the handout that's available for download if you just click that button there. And then I also have an area where you have related information. So if you don't like my stuff, or you think my stuff is trash, you can go to get other smarter people's material. So all of that's gonna be found at pharmacyproperty.com. And again, moving forward, we're gonna keep the, the, same, uh, the same link, but we're gonna change over to a different, different host to that website to make it a little bit more engaging for our audience and be able to add more futures that can help us out. And by the, by the end of this year, we're actually gonna be pushing out an app. So that's gonna be where we can house a lot of information that's more quickly really available for Android and for Apple users. Man, that's amazing right there. That's amazing. Um, People, please go check out the website and, and find out some good information on uh, these pearls. 
Take the pre and post test, see what you know. You know what I'm saying? Also, I want to know, it seems like you got a lot going on. Two different pharmacies, three, two different hospitals. You're doing the, the pearls every Friday. How's the work-life balance going? I think everyone, that's a, a question I, I get all, all the time. I have a family and, you know, I, I'm pretty engaged and, you know, working out and, stand, and staying fit is something that I, I play. I would say for the most part, it, it's challenging at times because, I, I thrive off a uh, passion. I thrive off a purpose. And yeah. for, for me, doing these activities, being at the bedside, uh, going and having a, a diverse working, po working population, it gives me purpose. So I, I feel that I get to the point to where I take, you know, plant breaks every, every often and I work most of my, my, my shift in bulk. So I recently changed from a seven on seven off model to more of a a four on, a couple of days off, and then a four on again to where I can work the majority of my shifts at both institutions in a period of time where I just knock out a few days there. Then I have a long period of time off that I can complete some of these tasks or I can delegate some of those tasks to other individuals who's interested. And then I can focus primarily on just relaxing, spending more time with family. And whenever COVID decides to, <laughs> you know, get itself, you know, out of here, I can get to traveling, which is something that I've been really wanting to do over the, over the last few years, but residency and uh, my first year out and just throwing myself into my, my passion has led me to spend most of my time in my office and at, at the hospital. So it's something that I'm definitely working on. My, my colleagues always joke with me about and say, do you ever sleep? And I say, I sleep eight hours, eight hours, but when I'm up, I'm going. And it's just, that's, that's something that works for me. And I know that as I, as I progress in my career and as I get other administrative tasks that I'm going to have to do more uh, delegating of certain tasks and work a lot less. And I think that as I, as I advance in my career, I'll probably get to a place where I have just one job and one location and being able to delegate more of these tasks. But right now it's just building the foundation, building, building a brand. And a, as that becomes to be built and established and I can trust other people with something that I love, like I love this stuff, like it, it wakes me up every morning. So once that's available, then I can kind of take a, a step back and focus more uh, administratively and move to working a lot less and doing other things outside of pharmacy and following some of those passions as well. Yeah, man, I can hear it in your voice. You're talking with passion. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that you love this and you, you really want to be there. So going to work for you isn't going to work. It's going to the place that you want to make a, make a difference. You know what I'm saying? Like you say, you're building your brand. And speaking about your brand, let's talk about your podcast. Farm So Hard Podcast. Uh, how did you come up with the idea? You're a co-host and co-founder. So let's talk about how you came up with it. What are you uh, presenting with this podcast? What information are you giving out to other pharmacists and other people in the medical field? Perfect, yeah. So Farm So Hard came after, uh, when I was in my first year of residency, we would, we would sit around and we would have topic discussions all the time. And the the, the structure were just so rigid and it seemed like every time we would talk about something, I felt like just how I was raised in the environment I came from, sometimes it's better to talk about things in a more relaxed environment or just being able to use metaphors to help me understand a little bit better. And I realized like, man, this is horrible. I, I hated doing this. And a, a few of my, my, my co-residents was like, hey man, how about this? Let's all get little topics that we're, we know a little bit about and let's go out for drinks after, and we have five minutes to have a conversation about this. And this was uh, inspired by one of my preceptors, Bibi, 
who works at uh, Florida Hospital Orlando, well, Advent Health now, and he would talk to us in a manner that I was like, man, I really get this. And at first we used to call them BB Talks to where he can just talk to us about something that was more relaxed. I was like, man, I really like to record this, you know, just because it gave me so much energy and it helped me apply to the patients a lot better. And uh, my, my, my co-host and co-founder, Austin Santalo, he was the administration resident and he was very good at like putting things together, um, being able to be great with like audio and, and editing and doing things in the program. And I thought to myself like, man, what if we just came together and use our big personalities and made a podcast? And we, we talked about it for a while and just due to the nature of residency training, didn't have the, the time to do it. And finally, once we both got done, we just sat down and put everything together. And we was like, if we do this, you can talk about the administration process of being like a pharmacy manager and, you know, you know, operations manager and understanding that part of institutional pharmacy. And I can talk about my experience from emergency medicine and like critical care side of things. And we can have a, a huge audience base to where we can have other individuals come on and talk about a particular topic and really just tell them, hey, just imagine you're out with your buddies and you're talking about something and it's more of a relaxed environment. We can joke around. It's not so rigid. And when I looked out there from at the time, uh, podcast for pharmacy, which just wasn't, we didn't have those things that were just relaxed. It wasn't just chill. And we definitely didn't have a, a, a diversity within that. There yeah. wasn't many people that looked like me that was, you know, speaking. It wasn't people playing, you know, hip hop themed music in their intro. It wasn't people doing that before. And I thought to myself, this would be a great opportunity to engage a different audience. We, we, we know that pharmacy is changing. We know that other professions are changing and they want to hear things in a different manner. And once we got together, we've been fortunate. We've, uh, we've just released our, our 25th episode and we haven't, been, we haven't been a year yet. And we've had people from all the way from Seattle to New York, some of the, the heavy hitters and people who are, have lots of letters after their name within pharmacy come and speak on the show and give their expertise. And, I just like to say that from my standpoint, I'm just a fan talking to my, 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 my heroes of pharmacy about topics that are important, like residency training, like, you know, transitioning from being a student to a resident and also transition from being a resident to being a practitioner. And once we get these conversations going, it's just kind of a chill environment. We sit back and forth, we, we chop it up and it's just a nice vibe. You know, you come on, you, you, you hear, you hear our intro and then you, you can hear, you know, when we, when we leave out some, some music that you've been listening to on the radio, that you're, you're blasting your headphones at the gym. And I think it's just something that we can engage a, a huge audience because we talk about many different things from half of it being administration, half of it being emergency medicine, or just general pharmacy topics. And I think that as we continue to grow, we're going to add additional components to that where you don't have to work in an ED, you don't have to work hospital, but the topics that we're talking about can be relatable for all uh pharmacists and even more even all practitioners because pharmacy is in everything every physician every nurse everyone do it and I always end my episodes where i tell them you know you don't have to be a pharmacist you don't have to work in the ed but everything you do make sure you farm so hard and what that means is just anything that has any medications to do with it you know just go hard at it no notice information know where to find this information uh be educated and be able to provide go from brain to vein and make sure your patient is getting the best experience possible. Man, I really like the fact that, how you said, like, you went from having those discussions being rigid to more relaxed because the profession is changing. 
um, it's a whole new generation coming in. We're younger. We, we want to be more, we want to go to work and be able to, to have conversations with people, not as a, a supervisor to someone under them, but more of a friend to friend or colleague, colleague, because you want to go be able to get to work and, and enjoy work. So making it more relaxed, even in the podcast, will also lead to making it more relaxed at the at the workplace. So that's a great idea that people need to like, you know, everything doesn't have to be super intense to get the knowledge out there. Um, it, it doesn't have to be boring. <laughs> listen to certain things, I'm like, man, I can't listen to this guy talk anymore. This guy's boring. Like he's, oh, hi, my name is this and that. Like, I can't do this, man. You got to throw some foreign drip on there and get it to going, man. Hey, you already know. Um, so how often do this podcast come out? We try to make sure we release every every two weeks. We just took a break in, in August just to get some away time and work on work-life balance. Yeah. And so most of the time we'll release a, a double episode. Like we release one episode that's administration. Then we release one episode that's more uh, ED, critical care, hospital, you know, clinical pharmacy related. And so we try to get it out at least a couple episodes at that point. We also have some shorter like nuggets and pearls where I'll take some of the pharmacy Friday pearls record something real quick and release it on this avenue to kind of have a double release we also we also partner with um a few other podcasts to do double double release on, on theirs as well so every two weeks is what we traditionally would do uh sometimes we'll space it out and drop you know three three episodes in a week but we average around uh, a couple episodes every two weeks man that's dope i like the fact that you went back and using your uh friday pharmacy pearls making it a nugget and putting it into your podcast. So that way they catch it on both ends. They couldn't catch the Friday Pearl. They can catch the podcast and like, oh, this is what I miss over here. Appreciate it. That's, that's, that's really smart right there. Because everyone like learns and hear things differently. Sometimes you want to see a handout front and back and, and be done with it. Uh, other times you're, you're driving to work and you have 10, 15 minutes. You want to pop something in. It's like, I read that handout, but it ain't stick with me. Now it's like, oh, I, I get it now. You can put a patient case to that. You can put a little bit more information to it. So, if, for example, the last three Pharmacy Friday Pearls have been on different things for acute agitation. And then our episode we dropped yesterday was on all three of those. And we, and we just talked about different the entire aspect of how to manage patients with acute agitation. So I think it's cool to where we can have we can make it small enough and, and little nuggets for people for each Friday. But then if you have 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, and you want to hear how all of that matches together and have a more a complete and comprehensive review of something, then we can go on with that. I have one of my physicians, Dan, that was on there. He talked about the assessment of the patient and what he's thinking. And then he asked me, hey, from a pharmacy standpoint, what are you thinking? So now you can get the, the data. You can get a physician's you know, thought process. You can get a pharmacist's part process and then put it together and that's that's how you farm so hard is being able to combine a lot of information together to best take care of your team and your patient smart smart that's some great stuff right there um how can people uh find this podcast and give it a listen perfect so we're available on all, all the major platforms go to apple Podcasts. just type in farm so hard um, uh, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and then you can go to farmsoheart.com and you can find all those, those avenues to where you can get it on your phone. Uh, if you go to the website, again, we have a lot of the show notes that are there, the studies that we talk about, uh, and any, any algorithms that we've created and talked about, uh, guidelines, we have all that information in, in one spot. So you can have a one-stop shop. And then if there's any other podcasts that are similar to that, 
I've linked those to the show notes as well. So you can have, uh, again, more comprehensive view. We're, we're trying to make sure that we have uh, people get the knowledge they want to for free, for cheap, and just get it to where it's available. So that's our, that's our vibe, and that's how we, we're going to continue to rock. Listen, the one-click stop right there. You go there, you get with everything you need. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, one more thing. So with COVID, you mentioned COVID earlier, working in the ED, a lot of COVID patients, how has that changed the uh, the way that you move and work inside of the hospital currently? Yeah, man, it, it's been it's been crazy. That's, that's, from the entire start of it, the ED pharmacists were the the only ones that were still on the unit because I I can't do my job, you know, effectively. I would say from 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 distance and from home. So when it comes to PPE and make sure you're having all your your, your gear on, I I go to work with you know. N95s, face masks, head shield, um, as far as just my my equipment is changed. Like, and I'm wearing these things all day. Uh, yeah. I think it's interesting and people get frustrated from wearing a mask when they go out and stuff. I'm wearing, I'm wearing these, these things full gear for 11, 13, 14 hours a day. And as far as like the involvement I have, beforehand I would be basically any sick patient in the emergency department, I was in the room looking at the patient, getting, a, getting an assessment asking questions, getting medication histories, uh, doing those things. That's changed now. A lot of that stuff happens. Uh, we have a brief second to get in the room and look at the patient. Um, but for the most part, for cardiac arrest, I'm used to being in the room doing my thing. They've moved the, the cold cart outside. So now we're passing meds in. Um, as far as it's just a lot of processes and, and protocols has been modified to make sure we're wasting medication appropriately. If you have a patient that's COVID positive, we have to waste that medication now because we can't bring it outside the room anymore because we just yeah. don't want to contaminate people. So I think just how I move has been been different, uh, being more cautious. Again, one of the things that I prop myself on is being a team player, but sometimes some of the non-pharmacy tasks that I would do, put a patient on a monitor, do CPR, um, you know, listen for breath sounds after intubation, like all these non-pharmacy things that is helpful but not necessary. You have to cut some of those things out to make sure that you're, Taking, taking on the role of understanding how to manage these medications, not just from a clinical standpoint, but just from a, just being clean. <laughs> like <laughs> what goes in, what goes out, and how to monitor these patients because COVID presents a, a different subset of patients. They respond differently to sedation. They respond differently to the therapies that we provide, you know, acutely. So it's just understanding a different patient subset, understanding different processes and protocols that are occurring and just the equipment and just the, dealing with the emotional part of COVID. Um, most people don't talk about that. You know, our, our nurses or our, and our physician colleagues are, are struggle mentally with this because you don't just go to work and come home and everything's fine, you know. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta take all your your clothes off outside of your home and wash them and sterilize them before going in. Some there's there are some people who are not seeing their spouses and seeing their families because, you know, when we had our our highest peak of COVID, we know we were we were seeing five, six, ten patients per day that had COVID, and that has changed. You know, families are being you know sent to stay with their their, their grandparents and mother-in-laws things of that nature just to prevent the exposure and it's taking a, a mental train. So I think it's not necessarily work-related, but I think understanding the emotional component of that, that what people are going through, and then the politicizing of everything that we're doing with COVID, people thinking that it's real, it's not real, the medications work, they don't work, and the, the emotional toll that 
this is taking on the staff and it's taking on uh, just all of us in general has been been challenging. And I think being supportive of all the colleagues has been another component that we've had to step up recently because it's been a long time. This has been going on for a while and know. You know, everyone's tired of it. And we don't have more PPE. We don't have, you know, super effective drugs, even though we, we, we say we have these, these magic bullets, you know, the evidence just doesn't always pan out. And just dealing with the questions, you know, because sometimes you have uh, medical professions who are very involved in politics and that the evidence that comes with certain things are sometimes, you know, jaded. Sometimes the information is, is shaded to fit one party versus the other. And I, I can care less whether you're left or right or up or down, you know, I just want to take care of my patient. And sometimes you have to answer questions that are due to the media and due to, you know, politics and all, all of that has been challenging you know, alongside with everything else that's going on in the world right now. Man, uh, you said a couple great things in there that I want to touch on a little more. Um, number one is like the emotional drain. You know, I'm a retail pharmacist, work at a big chain, and having to do this every day, every day. Um, when you came in here, you said uh, you, you guys are bonding with your colleagues and you guys have to go home and, and script down and sanitize and everything before you go in the house. Um, how are you doing with this right now? Yeah, personally, it's, it's 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 challenging, you know. When when I when I everything that I always have a a, a separate pair of clothing <laughs> that I, I have with me that we, we can we can swap out before getting in because I don't want to expose my family to something. Um, every washing your clothes every day. <laughs> That's, 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 that's a different vibe. You know, again, everyone has their thing. Um, that's just every, every, every time I come out, my uniform goes in a wash and dryer. Every, it gets sprayed down, wash and dryer every single day. So that, that's challenging. Um, and then just emotionally understanding that I, I only thing I said, I've been fortunate to grow up in tough times, grew up, grew up in tough environments. Yeah. To where a lot of the coping mechanisms that and the, the strategies I've had growing up, not having a lot, seeing a lot of difficult things, being in very difficult situations, has helped me stay strong in times now. Where you say, "Well, I've dealt with hard things before; I can deal with this now," and it just it just reminds me of you know living in poverty. You know, yeah. you can't go nowhere; <laughs> you're stuck in. You know, you don't you don't have the resources to go places. The economy is bad. You know, for for me. This is just, people say COVID is ghetto, but it, this, is, this is really what it feels like in my head. You know, you can't do the things you want to do. You're limited resources and you have to be extra cautious of everything you do. This reminds me of living in, in, in a bad environment. Yeah. And I think that um, having that experience before, having people who I grew up with, who's doing well, who's going through the same thing and bonding with them has led to me being able to say, I can do this. And I've always been a team player. I played sports growing up. And for me, this is just another, you know, team, team sport that you go in and you compete every day. And to get the dub is to get out of there mentally intact and your patients taken care of. And that's how I, I go to work for my teammates. I, I, I push hard for my teammates and that's what wakes me up. That's what keeps me going. And that's what's been the, 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 the bright side of this. For every struggle, there's something that's just beautiful to come out of it. I've been able to bond with people who I didn't think I, I could bond with before. And I've been able to accomplish some things that I didn't think I could before, simply due to the fact that we're all just trying to get through. 
That's dope. That's dope. Um, because you're in there dealing with these COVID patients on a daily or regular regularly, uh, how often do you guys get tested? Or how often do the hospital uh, give testing to all the staff and employees? So that's the challenging part now. Again, we're not required to get get testing if we don't have any symptoms or anything like that. So we're getting monitored for fever every day. So you can't get to the hospital without getting a, a questionnaire and, and getting your fever, get your, your temperature checked. Yes. And if you don't have if you don't have those, again, depending on which provision of the CDC guideline that's been that's released, you don't necessarily have to be be checked. Again, if you had an exposure to where you have been without your equipment, you've been out without protection, it's, it's available for us and it's available for us at no charge. So we have easily accessible from that standpoint data, but it's not required and we can get it done uh, frequently. Uh, this hasn't been a situation that's come up for me personally yet because we've even just from a pharmacy department has taken steps to minimize exposure directly with those patients. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I haven't, me or the colleagues that I've, I've had at uh, most of my institutions have not had any issues, but again, for those that have, they've been tested, they've had to you know, do their quarantine and we haven't had any any major, you know, health issues from this particular thing at this point. Oh, man, that's some good stuff. Um, so, Dr. Pruitt, let everybody know how they can get in contact with you, your hashtags on Instagram, YouTube, your podcast, your websites, to make sure that anyone who wants to get uh, to, to, to get a Friday Pearl, Pharmacy Friday Pearl, they can go there. Anyone who wants to listen to the podcast, they can get there. If they want to follow you on Instagram, Drop your uh, IG handle. All right, perfect. So again, you can reach me. Uh, my, my public e email that I let that people, you can go to farmsohard2019 at gmail.com. So if you need to get in contact with me about any, any uh, form, so pharmacy any information or get, want to get in contact about the podcast, you can go there. Uh, pharmacy Friday Pearls, again, is at pharmacyfriday.com. You can go there and you can see everything. I have contact information there as well. Um, the website for the podcast, pharmacyfarmsohard.com. And then I'm really active on Twitter at farmd underscore and ed. You can definitely meet me there. And then for Instagram, I'm just Jimmy Lee Pruitt. It's my full name. It's easy to find me there. So I like to joke around with, with students and residents. And I'm probably the most accessible, you know, ED pharmacist in the nation because of just all this stuff that we have out there. So uh, definitely reach out to me there. Um, I try to get back as soon as possible, but I'm really, really active on Twitter especially for our, our pharmacy topics and uh, being able to get in contact with me from that standpoint. That's dope. That's dope. This was Pill Talk with Dr. Bar 2. You know, I got my merch on Amazon. Click that. You can find me on IG at Dr. Bar 2. Um, that's it. Thank you, guys. Right, thank you. Appreciate you, Jimmy.